Welcome to the Ross Nielsen Therapy Hour with your host, Ross Nielsen, broadcasting live from his mother's basement. Please welcome Ross Nielsen. Thanks, Mom. Okay, okay, that's enough, Mom. Thank you. Uh, welcome uh, to the Therapy Hour, everybody. It's episode two, uh, session number two of the Therapy Hour. I am your host, Ross Nielsen. Welcome back. Thank you for returning. Um, back in the fall of 2015, October to be precise, I get, managed to get two tickets to uh, one of my favorite bands, Lucero, a Memphis band. Uh, they were playing in Toronto at the legendary Lee's Palace, and I thought two nights of Lucero at Lee's Palace is too good to pass up. Uh, I convinced my buddy uh, Sean Donaldson uh, to go, a longtime partner in musical crime. Um, Sean's turned me on to many, uh, many bands, and uh, and he uh, certainly was willing to go and check these guys out. Um, knowing I was going to be up there, I would. I, I messaged uh, the bass player John C. Stubblefield. Uh, to see if he would sit down with me for a little chit-chat, and uh, he was very kind to oblige, and we had a good uh, 30-ish minute conversation uh, on record. Um, kind of made the, the fatal flaw of uh, learning the hard way not to go and hang out and have beers before the interview, because not because we were tipsy, but because some of the conversation that we had while having beers uh, I wish we had captured because it was really good and candid and uh, of course that's what I strive for here on the therapy hour I want real conversation I want connection I want the dirt people I, I don't want the generic uh, everyday question um, I want what makes someone tick and where they're coming from and uh, I think we, John and I still got to some of that, but um, you know, we the conversation spans from uh, music and and uh, Memphis, the Memphis scene, uh, their place in that scene. Of course, the legendary producer Jim Dickinson, uh, who was the high priest of Memphis music, um, and a variety of other things. And uh, it was just a real pleasure. I met John oh way back, I think, in 2010 at Harvest when Harvest brought um, Hill Country Review up to perform. Uh, their bass player, for whatever reason, couldn't get into Canada, so John was on the gig and uh, met him then. Uh, he's a, a real charming fella, a real interesting cat, and uh, it was a pleasure to meet him then, and it was a pleasure to reconnect um, this past fall. And uh, I'm grateful that he uh, was willing to do that because more or less a stranger, aside from the fact that we were on a bill together. But, I mean, come on, how many people has he been on the bill with? Um, my kind of draw to, to Lucero has been a long, bizarre one. In 2010, I made a record in uh, Mississippi. The year before that, when I was trying to secure... Um, producer for the album I had spoke to uh, Jim Dickinson the legendary producer he's been there and, and done it in every way possible he's worked with Aretha Franklin uh, Albert King Albert Collins Bob Dylan uh, the Rolling Stone he plays piano on Wild Horses like not to mention his production work with uh, North Mississippi All-Stars uh, which is what drew me to him and then the first time I heard Jim uh, was on the Crossroads soundtrack uh, of course the movie Crossroads pivotal movie in my life and um, anyway uh, Jim uh, of course passed away untimely and wasn't able to produce our record but uh, Cody his son and drummer for the All-Stars uh, stepped up to the plate and offered to do this project with us 
And his mother, Mary Lindsay, uh, sent me Cody's resume uh, just to kind of, which I didn't really need anyways. I knew, I was familiar with Cody and, and uh, the All-Stars, of course, at that point. And uh, anyway, on his resume was this band called Lucero. So I checked them out online, of course, and it was good. I enjoyed the music, but, it, you know, I wasn't like, oh, wow, this is my new favorite band. And then um, I think it was in 2000 and I'm going to say 14, maybe 13, 2013 maybe, uh, one of our bass players, um, Jamie Guitar, was on the tour with us. And I think that he, I don't know if I had bought Women and Work first. Women and Work, 1372, Overton Park, and then Women and Work came out. Um, but I think I came to Women and Work first somehow. Uh, I had been to Memphis. I had eaten breakfast at the arcade uh, diner on the cover of Women and Work. They're all sitting in front of the arcade, so I was drawn to that. Anyway, I ended up just getting hooked on this album. It's all, uh, you know, horns and good grooves. Memphis uh, soul with a little bit of grit, a little bit of attitude. Um, definitely uh, some drinking and working music, you know. And uh, and then, of course, I get into 1372 Overton Park. And, oh, my God, talk about obsess. I obsessed for multiple tours on those albums. And one tour in particular, I couldn't tell you how many times we listened to 1372. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, anyway, two, two real amazing albums. And I mean, they have a whole catalog of amazing albums. Uh, ben Nickel, the, the band's front man, is an amazing songwriter and lyricist. Um, just now, n- now I love everything about them. Of course, they've put out um, a brand new album. Well, it was a new album when, uh, when, when John and I did this interview. Um, but the album's called All a Man Should Do. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to quickly spin a tune here off that album. Uh, before we get into the interview so you can uh, get a little taste of Lucero. Um, so the interview will be with John Stubblefield. This song is uh, uh, is called um, Can You Hear Them Howl? Can't You Hear Them Howl? Off of All a Man Should Do, Lucero. Check it out.
Memphis Soul and a little bit more. Uh, I don't. There's so many ways you could describe Lucero. They're throughout their career. They've been everything from punk to country to uh, just a, a real variety to a full-blown uh, Memphis Soul band. And that uh, that tune is a little bit of of all of that. Um, anyway, John and I get into a little bit of that conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation uh, between me and the bass player from Lucero, John C. Stubblefield. Okay, so in Toronto with uh, John C. Stubblefield from Lucero at Lee's Palace. What's really going on, what? y'all? <laughs> What's really going on? Uh, you guys have a brand new album out, All a Man Should Do. Um, and you guys are on the road, as always, after a brief uh, summer hiatus. Um, I want to talk, first off, I mean, we're going to touch on a bunch of things, but I want to talk about, uh, right out of the gates, about growing up in Memphis. You guys are proud... Uh, proud Memphis folk, as one should be. You had the the birth privilege of being born in that place. The musical history of of the city itself is uh, staggering. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, does that? I mean, I know you, it's not lost on you guys. So, does that put pressure on you when you're recording, writing, performing to honor a legacy uh, of that city? Um, yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, you're. You know, I think all all of the arts and every artist and, and any form to a certain degree is, you know, directly, you know, your out, output is directly influenced by your input to a certain degree. Um, but by the same token, um, it's also a pretty isolated spot, mm-hmm. um, which is, which well, a lot of times are good breeding grounds for for creativity um to a certain degree like even the when we first started playing um and kind of doing this thing that we're doing and it was even the quieter softer stuff and kind of um i think it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke let's start a country band to piss off the punk rockers you know, <laughs> i read that quote. <laughs> i thought that was great play punk rock shows in the middle and you know, kids would actually like sit on the floor, and you could hear a pin drop. You know, the middle of these crazy hardcore shows. But um, and then a few months after that, we're like, oh wow, you guys are, you know, be great for you know this whole no, no depression movement and and blah blah. And we're like, the who what? Yeah. Like we had no idea about you know Jeff Tweedy or any yeah. of this other stuff. Right. Like, we were just doing it because we you know yeah wanted to do it. You know, but. Uh, but yeah, I think some of it was just getting back to the the roots of things of you know um, where we're from the the Elvis and the Johnny Cash and the Carl Perkins and all that you know just kind of this stripped down sound. Totally, yeah. The the time was the punk rock of the times, you yeah. know. And so it was so uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, was there like any point in your life where you know I mean obviously like Sun Stacks. And these legendary studios there that pretty much yeah. define the sound of American Royal Studio, everything, with the whole yeah, high rhythm and everything. Yeah. yeah. So, at what point in your life did you become aware that you're living in a city that is the birthplace of all that is cool in music? Like, yeah. was there any any pivotal moment where you woke up and you're like, "Holy, like I live here. This is." Yeah, to a, I mean, to a certain degree, I think somewhat. I mean, just because you're just in it. You yeah. don't really, uh, 
realize, especially until you go other places. And right. Think of just kind of uh, and see the and talking to different people. I think even in you know your formative years, you go through rebellion years of your teenage years. I think no matter where you're from, you know. I mean, like, yeah. Talking with uh, Mike Ness, a social distortion, who grew up in Southern California, you know, it was like wish that he was from Memphis, you know, but then like us being from Memphis, you know, and being teenage skater punk kids, like wish we were from California right. you know, or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, these different things and you kind of rebel against it. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I know, I think the formation of this band was kind of really like picking our heads up kind of collectively all at the same time and being like, wow, okay, this makes sense, you know, yeah. and, and all the different different influences and I think over the, the listening where you brought up earlier women and work in 1372 but right. I think you can kind of hear different influences like some of the first recordings that we did with um, Cody Dickinson down at the barn on mm-hmm. especially Lucero self-titled going back and listening now you can hear like certain sounds of Sun Records almost to a certain degree some of the sonically some of the sounds which at the time we weren't directly referencing but yeah just so you kind of hear it and then but uh yeah i think over over the time we kind of touched upon to a certain degree of course bringing in the horns or bringing in rick right steph on the piano and organ was definitely a direct nod to the the memphis sound booker t and this and that and then yeah well I was, and beyond you know even beyond that but just that memphis sound of the piano and organ and then the addition of the horns as well you know? yeah i was going to ask you about that uh you know, with the, I mean, throughout the catalog, there's a lot of different things going on musically. You can hear, uh, you know, what, or, or maybe a listener perceives, you can hear what the influences are going on. Something as different as uh, Nobody's Darling to um, that much further west to the horn stuff, or what I yeah. refer to the horn stuff. And uh, it's, it's a real neat, like, are these conscious decisions like this album, we want to go for this sound, or is it just a natural kind of... Uh, uh, evolution, or or does it come from a producer, or is it just a natural evolution of the band? It's like, hey, let's put a horn on this track and throw yeah, some it's been kind of this. a natural evolution. Um, really, that was kind of when starting out was kind of uh, not wanting to get pigeonholed yeah. know, into one certain sound. There are a lot of bands that you know make the same record over and over again, but I think collectively, we all listen to a lot of different styles of music. But I think one thing that was uh, kind of bring us all together as the bands that we really like have to a certain degree reinvented every album you know kind of yeah. but it's still the same sound and the same band but yeah but uh, being able to use albums as a sense of discovery and reinvention you know yeah absolutely just, I sort of feel just, like uh, like 1372 and Woman Work could be like siblings or uh, obviously sound like from the same family uh, sonically where some of the other albums maybe are a little more unique from that time period of the band and then so Texas and Tennessee afterwards obviously a, a real shift to uh, return to acoustic stuff for that EP and uh, am I right thinking you went back to the Zebra Ranch to record that yes absolutely with Cody yeah so what, pro- what after doing um, the, the couple albums that you did uh, with Ted Hutt yeah what prompted you to go back to uh, both the acoustic sound and the ranch Cody Dickinson. Yeah. <laughs> he actually um, called up one day just out of the blue, and I, we'd kind of 
been on a long album cycle for women and work and uh it was just uh he's you know kind of another you were talking earlier about colloquialisms of of uh of our region that I opened up with you know what's really going on yeah he um called me up and was like john c man let's just let's i'm just itching to see you guys and hang out and uh which means usually means let's get creative, you know. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he's like, let's do it like we used to do. Yeah, you know? like let's take and kind of break things back down to the basics. And yeah, uh, well, and it works. Got been on acoustic, um, played some upright on it, and uh, actually both Ben and Brian on that album are playing acoustic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we wind up adding a little little bit of horns on there. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it was just he was talking about you know going back and just kind of. I think it was the perfect time in two just exploring the dynamic threshold, you know, again, because yeah. we had kind of reached this bigger plateau, you know, kind of going for it and yeah. kind of uh, really be- exploring the Memphis sound of the, um, you know, like you were saying, uh, stacks and high rhythm and stuff with the yeah. full on horn range, but it's just kind of going for it, kind of Otis, Otis Redding it. Yeah. And uh, the London tours and stuff where they're just kind of going for it. Oh, um, it's crazy video footage from that stuff. The, but um, the Europe stuff. Yeah, it was just right on time, and and and, and it kind of hit us like a ton of bricks. Just like yeah, well, it certainly. So that's how we started out. It was like really the people really got people's attention was like kind of the exploring the dynamic threshold, you know, yeah. and, uh, which carried over into was definitely an impetus for the album that you spoke of um, all yeah. a man should do that's just out now it's because Ben Ben plays acoustic that's exclusively right. from top to bottom and, yeah. and we're kind of exploring that dynamic threshold I find uh, for my, my my personal take on the album all a man can, uh, should do it, it sounds like a combination of 1372 women and work and and uh, Texas and Tennessee yeah. it's that nice mix of all those things that you've been doing Absolutely, and uh, you know whether whether cognizant or conscious and intentional or not, it's a, a beautiful uh, marriage of uh, you know. I, I guess the beauty you said you know of the Memphis Sound, but the beauty of the Memphis Sound is that it is not straight and narrow. It is very vast in its styles, yeah. and uh, you know we were talking earlier about there being a huge hip hop scene there. You have the birth of uh, of soul there with Stacks and and uh, all that kind of uh, groundbreaking stuff. So you really have a full uh, palette to explore and, you, and not get, and you said uh, pigeonholed, and it's funny, I have that actually in my notes. I was going to ask if you guys ever felt like, I mean, it, to me, when you're recording, it seems like you do what, well, it seem, I get the impression that you guys have always done whatever you want to do um, and not yes. kowtow, <laughs> and not kowtow to, to what, you know, should be done or the trends or whatever. Um, but do you do you find your fans, uh, I mean, you guys have a rabid legion of fans from years of touring and hard work, do you find they're open to uh, the acoustic stuff as much as, as the electric stuff? Or, you know, I guess every band, when an album comes out, you have the people who say, uh, oh, it's, it's well, yeah, not, I mean, not like uh, the last album. Or yeah, well, of course, you're going to have that. I mean, because to a certain degree, with being rabid, it becomes, you know, it's, um, Ownership. There's, a, there's a certain amount level of um, personal investment, be it emotional, mm-hmm. through, like, the moment in time when they first discovered in that first album mm-hmm. that they heard um, what they were going through then, and when, but uh, but yeah, there's a certain. I think some some fans have feel a certain amount of ownership almost, you know, to yeah, the band to a certain degree. So, yeah. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely consider consider that to a certain degree, but uh, at the same time, you know, I feel, feel like everybody's um, kind of grown along with us, and, yeah. and uh, even if it, right off the bat, if it wasn't what they're expecting, they might feel a little this way or the, about it at the beginning, but then after three months, you know, they're singing along and requesting right. the, the new song. the new stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, well, that's, I think it's a luxury uh, to be in that position where you have fans that are, I mean, you see, you look at the fans at a Lucero show. I mean, uh, the show last night was great, and the fans are going off the hook for every tune. It doesn't matter if it's a ballad. It doesn't matter if it's a rocker. They just, like you said, there's that emotional investment there. They love it. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, so you've done uh, some production work uh, for other folks. I know you co-produced the second Hill Country Review album, is that right? Yep. Um, is that something you enjoy doing compared to performing live, or is it a different beast for you? Is it a different mindset? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the studio, I've been from... Uh, been in the studio with Lucero, of course, my main act as a bass player. Um, then kind of, you know, do a lot of the kind of pre-production stuff and working out demos and things of that nature. Kind of, it's kind of a double-edged right. sword. But, um, but yeah, getting out and doing other things, especially without a bass in my hands and just kind yeah. of being in the studio is very refreshing and uh, always good to have a new, new kind of... Uh, you know, you're creating output. I keep going back to this, but it's kind of a new, new, refreshing input for me to go in and, and work with, with other other artists and, and uh, kind of just have a have a chance, but to sit back and help help foster uh, an outcome of an album. You know, it's yeah. kind of uh, depending on the artist too. You always kind of use the paper boat in the pond analogy. You know, and just kind of. You know, blow it the right way and get right. it, get it, make sure it gets safely to the other other side, and uh, without rocking yeah. the without rocking the waters too much, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, and I assume there's all, maybe not always, but oftentimes maybe some things that you take back to your main project with you from learning, oh, absolutely, from producing absolutely. With other people and stuff. Um, so we have the Zebra Ranch in common. Uh, legendary high priest of Memphis music. I would be remiss to not discuss Jim Dickinson with you. Uh, I know there's a, a long history there with the family. Um, did I know Jim produced the band uh, for uh, at least Nobody's Darlings. Yeah, um, the dir direct hand in it. And did, of course, um, had the vision to create the Zebra Ranch, which yeah. um, we did... Of course, the attic tapes um, on our own with well, not on our own, but with Brian's dad and his demo studio, or had been up to that point a demo studio. Then we made it turn, we made it um, an album out of, and so it turned it into a real studio. I guess at that point, yeah, or so he says. And then uh, the next one was uh, with with Cody Dickinson at the Zebra Ranch, yeah, and uh, so Jim even had had an influence there to a certain I'm degree, certain, yeah. Um, just by being in in the space and him allowing us to be there, yeah, um, brings brings a lot to the. Table he was there. unfortunately gone by the time we recorded the ranch uh, with my band, but uh, uh, his influence was still permeating the room like it was it was uh, palpable. Like yeah, no, I mean he's he's still here. I mean, it was in his his uh, eulogy that he he wrote himself. You know, the, the closing line was you know, 
everything's going to be all right. I'm just dead. I'm not gone. Not gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, amen to that. So. Um, what, uh, like, working with someone like Jim must have, you, there must have been a lot to learn with someone like that, that kind of pre- presence and that kind of history in music. I mean, he really was there for all of the uh, uh, groundbreaking changes in, in music um, of that, that region in that era. Did he uh, kind of direct you at all in a, in a production role? Are there tricks you've learned from him that you take into the studio now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just was fortunate enough to get to be a kind of a fly on the wall in several several uh, productions at the barn and at Ardent Studios and stuff. And uh, just, yeah, just being in his presence, even just out of the studio as well, um, just kind of how to be and carry yourself and, and definitely a certain uh, studio etiquette right um if you will that uh it's kind of really too broad or i can't even yeah begin to explain what that even means but um yeah but yeah no there's definitely a certain certain demeanor and uh and uh reverence mm-hmm. for the for the for the studio um it's definitely definitely learned from him for sure yeah, what a, a great position to be in, not only to be uh, from that region, but to be able to uh, have contact with someone like that who is, uh, you know, a true visionary for, um, you know, for for life, beyond music, in, in life in general. But uh, we, I'm sure we could have a whole conversation about that alone. Um, so you guys have been together, am I right thing you've been together for 18 years? Coming up on it in April will be... Sweet 18 Lord. years, so yeah. 17 and a half. That's <laughs> and still touring with this, the original core lineup. Yeah, the original original four dudes. How do you pull that off? <laughs> Sheer dumb will. I think it was, Sheer dumb will. <laughs> um, yeah, and at this point, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just, just chemistry um, is a big, big part of it, and... Uh, Learning to you know, live together. And learning to and live together. Metal tube. A, yeah, it's just a, a band of brothers at this point, you know. I mean, it's kind yeah. of, you get to a certain point and there's no looking back. It's like, you know, it's too late. what else are we going to do? Yeah. You know, it's too, like, too late to stop now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm always, uh, I was just having a conversation the other day with a friend and they were referencing, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe you 2 or somebody. And they're like, so, you know, so few bands uh, 25 years later are still the original lineup and still touring and still speaking to each other and stuff. And it's always fascinating to me when I was researching this. I was like, holy cow, you guys have been on the road, like seriously on the road. Yeah, there's not a list of 32 past members or <laughs> anything, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very impressive uh, and hard to do. I you know I I've, I've suffered from bass playeritis and I've had uh, six bass players in maybe three years or something like that. So it, it's it always I'm a little bit jealous and and uh, 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 look in wonderment and awe when the band can stay together like that for so long. Yeah, no, that's and that's kind of a Dickinsonian thing too. You know that therein lies the difference between a band and a group. Absolutely. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. A huge difference. Um, so you guys in those uh, 18 years toward the world, you've been to Europe a handful of times, we were discussing earlier. What Do you find the crowds in Europe to be um, the same kind of rabid uh, fans that are in North America? Is it is it a different vibe there when you play? Or is it still as dirty rock and roll uh, as ever? Um, yeah, I mean, it's... 
definitely kind of the first first half are kind of just standing back holy crap y'all are actually here <laughs> y'all came all this way um but yeah i mean some of the some of the uh rowdiness you know some of the rowdier tunes definitely ensues but um but they're great and such just such an attentive crowd and the the, the you know the culture mm-hmm. cultured class um, definitely comes <laughs> comes through they're definitely a classy audience you know when we're playing the quiet tunes you can hear a pin drop they're listening. and then you know because we are a bit of a emotional roller coaster ride um, just a touch um, so yeah no they're they're great we love love going over there that's a thrill to be uh, to be received globally um, the the wildest thing was it going to Japan and just the cultures and and how people react to things. Um, it kind of the first our first show we went over and did a handful of dates, a couple of weeks with Flogging Molly, um, right. opening for those guys in Japan, and um, we'd never been there before, and um, played our first song and people were there were actually a few people kind of singing along and bobbing their heads and going for it. And then we finished playing, and there was no applause <laughs> at all, whatsoever. Just everybody standing there watching us, like. And then our singer was take, kind of taken aback by uh-huh. it a little bit, and then, uh, and it kept happening every song, and they would even get a little rowdy on the rowdy tunes and stuff, but then they would just stop, and then we got off the stage like, did we do something wrong? What's wrong? And they like, talking to our tour manager, he's like, no, no, that is the best. As respect, they are listening ah, for yeah. every word, seeing what you're going to say, and yeah, and, amazing. Um, That's a and then vibe. sure enough, the thing, the Flog and Molly went on stage. Same thing. And there were kids slam dancing and going crazy, nuts, screaming every word. The song would be done, and yeah, not a word for anyone. No applause, nothing. It was like, <laughs> so it's it's wild, just different cultures and yeah. how the, and, and how learning different things. Appreciate and, and show their respect yeah. or whatever. Um, so throughout your uh, 18 years in the band and rocking and rolling, you've had a variety of uh, label releases and whatnot. Uh, in the late 2000s, you guys uh, navigated towards a major label um, for a brief stint. Um, I'm wondering if you're comfortable talking about it. I'm wondering what prompted you to be on it and then be gone. Because <laughs> I understand the deal was for quite a few albums. But you guys did one and then split. Is that correct? Yep. And yep. That's the deal. Um, it's kind of the nature of the beast. Um, you wind up, you know, A and R girl that loves you and is a huge fan and you know convinces her boss to right. this and that. But then, you know, before we're even in that in the studio or even doing demos, and then of course, you know. Major shakeup at the major label. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clear house, people fired, and this and that, and other. You know, just and 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 brief. Um, you know, and actually, they were great. Nate Albertson wound up being uh, our kind of the A and R guy. So even our A and R person was gone, and mm-hmm. the label. Th- so it was all kind of in the midst of. A big shake-up. So what, know, it wasn't a up. dramatic, uh, you guys need to write some uh, Taylor Swift hits and get... No, 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 <laughs> no, not at all. And I would say Nate Albertson, he was actually a guitar player from the Mighty Bo- Mighty Boss Tones and mm-hmm. had been out Great in the band. band and 
was actually really great to us and very understanding and, and uh, you know, was, and then the, the new bosses was, you know, was a different, didn't understand what was going on with yeah. all the stuff that we worked out before and then and we just didn't, Strictly didn't hit certain numbers right out of the gate. And sure, sure, yeah. So it was just a matter of a numbers game and that's yeah. where the other boss that was there before really believed in us and was, that, um, it was maybe more of a long-term plan going into it that right. uh, it all kind of got housed. After, yeah. you know? so I find that so there was there were no hard no hard feelings or anything there. But, well, uh, that's good. Yeah, I was and wondering. then we wound up uh, finding a home at ATO Records, which yeah. was put out some serious serious great. Uh, albums, and, um, which is a great great label. Um, a lot of diversity on the label, but the common thread I think is that it's all. Real working bands yeah. and, and that are out actually touring and slugging it out and working and, and trying to build a build an arc of a career. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody the, there seems to be really understanding and, and, and the nurturing of that. Yeah, well, that's a great, uh, great. So it all worked out. Yeah. Kind of yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. I, you know, I always wonder how. That kind of leads me to the next question. Uh, always wonder how what the actual reality is versus the perceived reality. Because you know, wandering through life, you see like. A restaurant that's making wads of money and you're like, oh, it's banging out dollar bills and then yeah. <laughs> in reality they're paying so much and you never know what's really going on yeah. so I was curious to know uh, if it was uh, a feud or if it was just business or, or what have you to, to leave that but um, on I guess on that reality question uh, I kind of want to wrap this up but uh, I wanted to touch on uh, you know being a music consumer and a performer um, do you guys have nights where you come off the stage and you think ah, it wasn't you know that wasn't the the show for me I don't feel good about it but then you come up people after you are like uh, that was the best show I've ever seen in my life man like how do you navigate that you just you let them have the the feeling or do you yeah, like, I mean, like no it was a terrible show yeah I mean it, 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 it uh, trans, it's different every night you know what yeah. I mean it, uh have to definitely learn to navigate all the trials and tribulations of sound and rooms and things and uh, just kind of transcend to a certain degree and really just focus on what you can focus on and uh, right and uh, but yeah some of the ones where we think we might have been a little flat or not amped up and the adrenaline went pumping but we were actually like really relaxed and this and that yeah. and other and like, uh, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> and it would be the best show that we probably probably ever played in our lives. Right. You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm yes, always, there's definitely some of that. always fascinated sure. that with, uh, with uh, the perception. You know, it's a, it's a wacky thing. Yeah. Uh, Perceptions and realities are often two totally different yes, things. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I was speaking with um, uh, somebody about the same thing. Actually, uh, J.J. Uh, Gray, and he said uh, there's something effective. There is no reality it's everyone has their own perception of reality so it's 100 yeah. percent unique to each person all the time and you don't always you can't uh always connect on your two realities right? yeah it's a fascinating thing um so you guys are, are fairly legendary for not using set lists uh and you're so last night's show you opened with an acoustic set and yeah. then rock her out for a second set are you doing that for the whole tour yeah and Pretty much, yeah. Is the first set, are you using a set list, or are you just kind of going loosey-goosey? Um, it's a little little loosey-goosey, but there is a kind of, a, a bit of certain a 
set of songs that we're pulling pulling from um, for the acoustic set. It's probably you know over. It's about an hour's long, but there's probably you know a couple of three hours of tunes that we're yeah. pulling from. You know, yeah. So. Yeah, it was a it was a nice uh, a real nice treat to have the two a nice chill and then a, a good rocker. So, I uh, I think we'll wrap her up here. The boys are getting getting in action, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to hang out and chat with me a bit for the podcast. And, uh, Absolutely. I wish you a safe tour and uh, and good uh, good shows all over. All right. Well, we'll see you again tonight. Yes, you will. Thanks, John. There it is, John Stubblefield uh, from one of my favorite bands, Lucero. Just, uh, uh, just an amazing band. Um, you know, it's interesting. To, it's interesting to talk to people in that kind of situation. You know, again, I, we, John and I don't really know each other, but uh, he was willing to take the time to do that, and and I, I can't say how much I appreciate it. But uh, we did have some wonderful conversation in, uh, previous to the interview, during the interview. And uh, it was an amazing show that night, as I recollect. They blew the doors off the place. And uh, it's funny all the things that can kind of influence a show. The night before was really good, but it was a mellower show. And uh, it was a smaller crowd. They'd come in from the States. There was some rigmarole with passports and stuff. And then the second night, the second night's always better, when, in my experience. When you do a two-night run, the second night you're just loose. You feel good. It's already, um, you know, homey. You know what's going on. And, man, they just blew the doors off the joint. It was uh, it was so great. Anyway, Lucero uh, is out on the road right now. Um, they've been touring Europe. They'll be other road uh, dogs. They'll be on the road for the rest of the year. Uh, check them out uh, when you can. Um, and check out the new album, uh, All a Man Should Do. I'm going to play another cut. Uh, off that album right now and then I'll come back and say goodbye this is a a wonderful wonderful song called They Called Her Killer uh, from All A Man Should Do by Lucero They called her killer boy and now I know why she looked straight through me with Baby blue eyes, long dark hair and one foot out the door. She stole my heart and I'm gonna fall short. It's the kind of love that kills a man. She's never felt such a thing at all. We gladly hold the knife for her. It almost makes it not her fault.
color boy and now I know why You can't stay with her if you're gonna stay alive Get out of California, back to Tennessee And stay away from Texas as long as killer's running free It's the kind of love the lyrics to that song man what a what a great band uh check out luceromusic.com get your merchandise get your tour dates they're all over the united states for the rest of the year uh great live band super good time and uh just uh all around uh, decent fellas um thanks for tuning in this has been session number two of the therapy hour i am your therapist ross nielsen i uh, appreciate you tuning in and listening to this thing that i'm doing here uh, i've really been enjoying it uh, my next guest next month will be uh, gordy johnson from big sugar and grady we had a quick little chat in a club uh in saskatoon last fall and uh, it was uh, an interesting conversation and an interesting experience. Um, I hope you tune into that one. It'll be out sometime in March. As for myself, um, I'm going to be on the road for the better part of a month with uh, my good friend Matt Anderson. I'll be selling merchandise for Matt uh, all across Canada on his tour. Uh, he's got a new album out. It's fantastic. It's called Honest Man. Check it out. Um, destined for great things and uh looking forward to that tour it's going to be a really really good time and uh and then late march i'm going to be mixing hopefully god willing fix uh, mixing the uh rest of my record my new album and um i'll even be doing some shows the the ross nielsen band will be at the red herring in st andrews uh, march 18th and 19th and then uh the end of march and early april i'll be doing some solo shows throughout ontario and the Maritimes. So uh, please do come and see me when you can and tune in next month for uh, my interview with Gordy Johnson and feel free to check out uh, last month's uh, inaugural uh, therapy hour with my interview with uh, Raul Benesha. I appreciate you once again. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ross Nielsen. (laughs) 